Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Uh, Today's guest is Mike Zagari. So Mike is a highly experienced creative executive focusing on leadership and motivation of creative teams, studios, and individual development, and is currently uh, an executive director at AMC Networks. Uh, Mike, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Did you want to tell us um, where you are in the world right now? Sure, yes. So as you mentioned, I'm with AMC Networks currently. I'm an executive director. Um, It actually has a lot of different roles and responsibilities, Um, but I'm actually only about eight weeks into this new role. Right. Um, So I'm still learning uh, quite a bit uh, here and there. Um, I had some previous coworkers from my Disney Marvel Lucasfilm experience uh, actually working with me side by side, and I worked really closely with them, and that would maybe one of the key reasons that made me excited to join AMC. And you know, for I think we've discussed this briefly before the episode, but for our past few episodes, we've been focusing um, on kind of a, a how-to theme. Uh, we interviewed um, you know Jim Zub about how to uh, write a comic 101 from scratch. Would you be interested in schooling us on uh, what it is to be a creative executive and and kind of walking through that and kind of how it ties together with storytelling and and, and that sort of thing? Yes, of course. So again, with my my current role right now, um, one of the key focuses um, that I have is something called AMC Premiere. It's a pretty new uh, video on demand aspect. It's an upgrade uh, for the AMC experience. So I'm assuming you guys are at least a little familiar with AMC. You probably know some of the key Temple shows. I'm sure you're familiar with The Walking Dead. Right, of course. So uh, the AMC Premiere platform uh, is an upgrade system. And it's funny because uh, storytelling is really important in how I describe the actual uh, platform. So uh, I like to describe it by utilizing the metaphor. Um, And so, again, a lot of people are familiar with AMC. Well, to get to know AMC Premiere, I like to describe it as uh, thinking of a, of if you have to get from New York to Los Angeles, there's a lot of different options. And so you can actually take a car, you can take a bike. If you're feeling really adventurous, you can walk. <laughs> I don't think most of the people are going to do those three things. They're actually right. going to take a plane. And uh, if you take a plane, uh, in this analogy, a plane is comparable to having a pay TV system, whether it's cable, satellite, or uh, anything from YouTube TV to Sling. Uh, all of these are, are similar to having then uh, getting on this plane is equal to uh, having all of those services. When you're on the plane, though, sometimes you want to be in first class. You want to have luxury seating. You want to have unlimited drinks. You want to have all the amenities, which means to be in first class. Right. That's what AMC Premier is. Um, so you need pay TV. It's an upgrade. Um, but what you actually are getting is you're getting a lot of your AMC shows even better. So you're getting basically uh, uh, ad-free uh, on demand, can watch whenever you want, no commercials. Uh, and then on top of that, you get to watch episodes beforehand. Uh, and I'm going to intertwine this a little bit more with my own passions and experience. Uh, as you guys might be familiar with AMC, they're also uh, incredibly passionate when it comes to uh, being inspired and taking uh, content from the comic book world. Uh, as you obviously know, The Walking Dead, right. an incredibly successful show, another incredibly successful show, Preacher. Um, both of these on, uh, of course, AMC, but even better on AMC Premiere, where Preacher Season 3 just started uh, a few weeks ago. And on AMC Premiere, we actually showed the first episode a week early um, before it appeared on linear TV. And then the same thing about the second episode. So what it also meant for AMC Premiere was you also get then the chance to see things earlier, again, and free on demand. Um, And so I describe all of this, this, these aspects because uh, AMC Premiere, at the heart of it, is about storytelling, uh, just like AMC is. Um, and so you also have a lot of bonus content. You have a lot of behind-the-scenes uh, making of, similar to what we're doing right now. Actually. Right, right. Uh, you'll get a lot of videos uh, with you know, examples of like Robert Kirkman. Um, you have a lot of other individuals from uh, the, the actual cast. Uh, get to see how things are get made. You know, getting behind the, the curtain, you know, aspect, and people get to learn, you know, tricks of the trade. Um, so again, that's sort of my passion, and actually, why we're chatting right now. And so, and at the heart of all of that bonus content is about storytelling. It's 
why they tell the stories they do. Um, and then sometimes actually even takes a different perspective where it's focusing on the fan uh, and seeing why the fan is so passionate or so interested in these AMC shows or AMC content. Um, so the platform in and of itself is all really about storytelling. Um, and I was actually lucky enough, uh, my previous role uh, at Aftershock Comics, where actually I was the head of brand, to work really closely with Garth Ennis. Um, and Garth, you guys might be familiar with uh, a lot of his work. Uh, also being the creator of Creature, right. who is a great bridge of being at AMC Networks. Wow. And when you started at AMC, how fully developed was AMC Premiere? Was, did, it, did it already exist, or did they bring you on to kind of release it? Or how, where was it at when you were brought on? Good question. Yeah, so it actually had already uh, existed in one form. Okay. Um, it was only available for uh, Xfinity cable provider customers. Uh, and... That's actually not even available here. I, I actually reside in New York, um, just like you guys reside in New York, and uh, Xfinity is not available. So uh, what that meant was AMC Premiere wasn't available. Uh, but just about two weeks ago, uh, we launched uh, with, in a partnership with Amazon on uh, Fire TV. And actually that opened up with that device, uh, any cable provider pretty much any cable provider that you have, you can sign up with your credentials and then upgrade to AMC Premiere. So that actually brought in the opportunity. Right. Um, and then it'll be rolling out onto more devices very soon, probably devices that uh, we're communicating on right now uh, in the next couple of months. Um, and you know, the, the game plan is obviously to roll it out on almost all the popular devices. Um, and that means, again, signing with all your cable credentials, and then you'll be able to experience AMC Premiere. Um, now, uh, the other aspect is, so there were sort of two key elements that they really uh, wanted me to bring in and I'm sort of focusing on when it comes to AMC Premiere. The first part is on, on, on the uh, seeing it completely from a fan perspective uh, was, something that was, was something that was really needed a focus that hadn't really been done before. Um, and that in terms of, just like the way I just described how the platform works, um, but also for the content that gets put onto the platform, uh, we actually have some stuff lined up. I uh, can't talk about it fully in detail yet. We have some stuff lined up at San Diego Comic-Con nice. later this week. Um, we'll be shooting some exclusive footage. Uh, a lot of the stuff I sort of just mentioned a little bit earlier. Uh, and again, you'll only be able to get this content on AMC Premiere, but really thinking about what the fan really wants to hear about, what they want to see, uh, and making sure we work with all the talented people uh, who are already creating uh, amazing content on AMC and just making it one step plus for AMC Premiere. The other aspect um, that I'm focusing on when it comes to AMC premieres internally is a lot of, uh, and this is, you know, goes back to actually one of your earlier questions uh, and comments, is that there's a lot of really talented different teams working on AMC Premiere. You have uh, an editorial team, you have a uh, product team, uh, which product team is divided into multiple different types of products from mobile to OTT uh, to, to just all the various different types of devices. Um, and then you also have uh, a tech team, which again is also separated based upon the devices. You have uh, the uh, marketing team, you have an operations team, you have endless amount of teams. And all these teams, incredibly talented, were able to launch with the Xfinity AMC Premier platform. Um, but there wasn't necessarily one key individual that was kind of crossing between all of these teams right. and helping guide and be leadership for all these teams and thinking holistically about AMC Premiere. So that was a big uh, need and a lot of what my day-to-day -day is. Wow. I imagine that's consistency of brand, that's consistency of aesthetic, all these kind of things, and, and kind of one, your one like morale booster as well, too. You're, I assume all the, the heads of these departments are reporting to you? Well, actually, it's structured differently okay. um, than sort of my previous uh, experience. Um, so no, not necessarily. They're not reporting to me. Um, we are working more collaboratively gotcha. as colleagues. Um, but again, it, it, with my focus on AMC Premiere, a lot of these individuals have focuses in other different places. It's sort of like I'm helping you be the leader for AMC Premiere and kind of shepherd it through. Um, but you did, you know, name some aspects that are exactly correct. Um, it's about the brand. It's about a voice. Right. Uh, it's about uh, making sure it, it stays at the highest quality. Uh, and the highest experience that AMC will provide. Um, you know, again, obviously, there has been actually some uh, exclusive uh, fiction content. Actually, there's a uh, series called 
uh, it was based on The Walking Dead. It was called Walking Dead Red Machete. And uh, that series is just sort of tip of the iceberg and sort of where we can go in terms of creating something new. Uh, but I should uh, give a shout out to the individuals who created that content. In fact, it's on AMC Premiere. Yeah. It actually was nominated for an Emmy uh, just about three or four days ago. Nice. So, Congrats. Yeah. Again, you know, I was, this is before my time. So, <laughs> wow. uh, you know, it's a big, big nod for, for all those individuals that I now currently am partnering with. Um, but it shows that, you know, that this is just sort of step one of many steps to come. Right. And um, you had earlier mentioned uh, all of these, like, I guess, value props for, for the fans and, and, and those who, who care about the shows. Why in today's day and age is it important to have all this extra value? What is the real, um, I guess, purpose or, or goal with all, all the, the content designed specifically for your viewers? That's also a really good question. So again, I'll take my, myself, my own personal answer. Right. I'm, you know, all, all these places that I've worked at, all these fantastic projects and, and people I've had the opportunity to partner with, I'm incredibly passionate with what I do. Uh, I'm really excited. And for almost everything I've ever worked on and anything, even just as a fan, I've always really wanted to dive in deeper. I've always wanted to really immerse myself in uh, any of the content, any of the shows, any of the comic books, any of the video games that I'm really interested in. And uh, you see it now more than ever. I mean, on social media, people sort of dissect things and, and really try to find like not only the true meaning, but how it actually may be connected with something else. Um, one of the examples is back when I was working on the Pixar uh, apps and products, uh, which was an absolutely fantastic team to work with all around. There was a, a, something going around the internet on how they were interconnecting all of the Pixar films. Uh, internally, uh, there's no such thing. Uh, you know, there's, there are a lot of Easter eggs in all the, the Pixar films um, that have a consistency. There's a lot of other you know, creators that kind of go from one project to another, and there's a lot of consistency there. But um, literally, in the fictional world, there's not uh, any kind of cohesive aspect to it. But I love that passion. I love that people right. were trying to piece that together. And it's that type of just interest is really where AMC Premier, uh, and you know, it really connects seamlessly to AMC. You know, AMC has always provided just the top quality content. It's always been about storytelling, you know, from starting with Mad Men to going to Breaking Bad, and that spin off into Better Call Saul, uh, but now Walking Dead and Fear the Walking Dead, and Preacher, there's been a lot of shows recently. It's really always about storytelling. It's about something that is so intriguing in terms of that story that you're just going to you're going to want to learn more. You're going to want to see how these things are either getting done, or you want to learn more about the world itself and see even deeper about the characters or those uh, worlds that you love. Wow! And you know, you mentioned storytelling, and I think especially for this podcast, which is about writing, uh, that's super important to us. What in your day to day, could you describe to us what that level looks like of the storytelling process? Is it super high level where, you know, you're kind of um, meeting with these different departments and, and kind of guiding it from a, um, an actual like a high level? Or are you kind of sitting down looking at this is a potential um, a video we're going to produce or something to that effect? Are you are you involved in the writing itself? Or are you kind of consulting or, or adding your your thoughts on, on these ideas? Sure. So it's more of a mix, okay. sort of way the way you described it. You know, sometimes the idea uh, comes into play where working with uh, the editorial team, the editorial staff, um, or working with any of the other creative, creative individuals uh, in sort of the day-to-day -day office level is where we come up with ideas w which may work. And again, sort of the ideas can be broken down into fiction or nonfiction. Uh, the fiction ideas is a good example is what you know was created for The Walking Dead Red Machete. Uh, in terms of you know nonfiction, it's sitting down and having conversations with Robert Kirkman. Um, okay. Both those two ideas, you know, can can be done just sort of uh, within the offices, um, sort of ideated, um, and then brought to the producers and showrunners and writers of the series to see how we can get it to, to fit and collaborate. And sometimes it can be the other way around, where we just say openly to the the writers of the shows uh, and the producers of the shows and said, "Is there something you really?" passionate about telling. And again, it could fit a fiction or a nonfiction side of things. Is there something that we can really add value? And a lot of these shorts could be, uh, you know, 10 minutes, some of them could be an hour long. Uh, whatever the content is, we want to make sure that they're just as interested in it as we because we know the more interested they are in it, the definitely the fans will be into it. So it kind of works both ways. Interesting. Okay. And the process in general, do you, are you um, 
you yourself when you're working on these ideas you know we like to get sometimes into like the nitty-gritty of the actual uh down into the tech or or that kind of stuff like are you like a when you're thinking through your ideas are you on your notepad on your phone are you you know a big like google drive guy i don't know if you can say what you use platform wise yeah. but when you sit down and put the pen to the paper what is your process i like it i like yeah. to get into the details yeah yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> um you know it's funny i i used to always write everything down back when i was at dc comics everything was written handwritten and uh and then and then i think I, it was probably at the time when i was at uh disney marvel that I started to transition because I said, you know what, I need to go back and, and be able to actually search for all, all of my notes and all the information and all the ideas and all the brainstorms and everything like that. So I started to just transition to I, the, the very detailed process is I would actually just email myself notes and, and in, my, in my outbox was like basically all the brainstorm, all the ideas, all the notes, and it just got more and more organized. Um, and that's sort of my process now. I just basically in my in my email, in my outbox, I just have uh, all the content and I can search for it and I can organize it. Um, and that's sort of even how where a lot of the ideas I mentioned that we're going to be setting up for San Diego Comic-Con, that's sort of how things kicked off. Uh, put all of it in there. Um, then when I, when I meet with all the various teams to kind of go over you know, what, what their role is going to be at San Diego and how maybe they might fit into helping put together some of this content, uh, is literally just going to those, those notes themselves. That's interesting because I think a lot of the times, um, sometimes when people are really good at leading teams, sometimes they struggle with kind of um, project managing themselves. So it's, it's really cool to hear that you've got your own system in place. Personally, I, I'm a huge like Trello guy. So mm-hmm. I'm always, yep. Yep. Uh, you know, for me and stuff. So, and then as far as like when you're looking at all these uh, departments, kind of working together with them, are there core tools that you work on together or are they kind of separated in that sense and more it's about the meetings and that kind of thing? No, there's, I mean, there's so many platforms right. at okay. AMC Networks. Right. Um, I feel like each one of the departments kind of leverages a different platform. Again, that's sort of where I come in and I'm, and I'm looking to bridge a lot of those gaps um, and trying to find holistically a more consistent platform. Um, you know, it's a lot of the ones like you already mentioned, sort of uh, some of them already. Uh, but honestly, there's, there's just so many. I'm hoping to help streamline it in some way. Uh, but I also don't want to get away with the, I don't want to pull away from the creativity that mm-hmm. happens. Right. Um, so it's a delicate balance. And like I said, I'm week eight. So I, uh, <laughs> I'm letting things happen yeah. a little bit more organically. Wow. And just kind of pulling back a little bit, you know, I had a question, um, you know, about what it, what it is to be uh, a creative executive or creative director. You're a creative director, correct? Is that the same as a creative executive? Can you define those terms and, and, and what is it to, what is the essence of being those things? Sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, I can describe sort of the differences and this is from sort of my perspective. Mm-hmm. I think there would be a lot more perspectives on it. Um, but, uh, so I've worn many hats in my career and sort of had different perspectives. When I was at DC comics, I was the digital art director, um, which is much more akin with being a, a creative director. Uh, it's almost very similar um, that was basically overseeing all of the art and design when it came to all of the digital content around Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. Um, we actually had multiple imprints. Um, so I'm dating myself a little bit. Uh, well, of course, there's still Vertigo. Um, but uh, at the time was Wildstorm and CMX uh, and actually Mad uh, Magazine. A lot of those was kind of overseeing the aesthetic, the design of all of that digital content, whether it was actually on the platform or actually any of the content that was created, which was short animated pieces, uh, or if we had any type of interactive uh, digital comics, all those types of things, really looking at it on that design sense. Um, and that meant, you know, making sure everything was on brand, but making sure everything uh, was the highest quality when it came to that aesthetic. Um, and so that's a better description of sort of where that creative director sort right. of role okay. fits. Um, as sort of uh, a creative executive, um, and this is sort of like where my, my role sort of transitioned. I'm sort of, maybe I might be jumping the gun about some of the stuff I'm describing, but mm-hmm. going from DC to uh, I freelancing for uh, Marvel, uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe, Marvel Studios, um, I was actually putting together, this was a physical uh, coffee table books based upon the early films. So the art of Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Captain America, and Thor. And Marvel literally handled, handed me uh, hard drives with terabytes of 
designs, animations, everything from the films, all of the previs, everything that uh, all the illustrations, uh, all the you know concepts that went into the films themselves, and, and then a lot of actual uh, previs uh, content from the films. And they basically just gave me these drives and said, okay, we want you to, to wear that hat that I was just sort of describing, which was a creative director hat or an art director hat, put together the books. But then there's the second part to it, which I think is a little bit closer to a creative executive, which was I actually needed to put together the structure of the books. I needed to actually think through what the storytelling would be and the flow would be and what is the best experience uh, for taking this content and putting it into a sequential book. Um, and so that's more of, again, a creative executive, a producer, sort of executive producer hat, and uh, not just making it look beautiful, but also saying, where's the storytelling? Where does it need to flow? And how does it flow? And how does it all come together? And uh, there were so many different uh, facets uh, within, this, within this book. So you have, you know, you can have the uh, costume making, you can have the set design, you can have, again, all the original concept art. All of this has amazing imagery. All this has tons of content. And really taking all that content and solidifying to what's, I feel like, the most essential. I actually then became, you know, starting to wear a little bit more of that uh, creative executive aspect. And from there, that's when my role sort of, again, started to evolve. And that's uh, my role with uh, Marvel, technically Marvel Press, uh, Disney Publishing, and Lucasfilm Publishing was much closer akin to that creative executive role. Right. Uh, again, managing those teams and looking at it more holistically about taking all those different parts, figuring out the best way to deliver the best product. Right. I love this episode because you're looking at the writing process or the creative process from such a higher level than the opposite, I guess, which is right down like the person who's actually kind of like writing the content. I guess they're both heavily involved in the writing, but it's kind of looking at it from two different perspectives. So I really like that. Um, so. My next question for AMC, obviously, I know that you, you know, based on what you just described, you've been very prolific and successful at some really major companies and, and done a lot of big things. When you got this AMC role, did they reach out to you? Did you reach out to them? Why did they choose you uh, for this role? That's also a really good question. So the conversation actually started because uh, my previous uh, supervisor, uh, at um, Disney Marvel Lucas uh, joined AMC um, about a year ago um, and uh, I still kept in touch with him and we had a lot of informal conversations um, about sort of what he was working on, what I was working on and those conversations sort of just led to them actually creating uh, a brand new role. Um, so uh, the role with uh, AMC is, didn't exist beforehand um, and uh, you know we him and him and I have worked together uh, really closely. Uh, his name is uh, Lyle Underkoffler, and uh, Lyle and I just really connected previously. We knew each other's work styles, um, and we both felt like we we created some of the top product before, and we felt like we can even surpass that by working together at AMC. Awesome. Would you want to uh, briefly? I know you mentioned some of your experiences. Would you want to walk through with us, you know, in reverse back through your career? And talk specifically about how storytelling ties into each one of each one of your roles at these various companies. Yeah, that sounds great. So I already did a lot of description of uh, AMC. Yeah, for uh, sure. At, for sure. Yeah, being at AMC Networks, um, and so I think I'll kind of kind of step from back there. Like I said, um, only about eight weeks in. So, exactly. Um, and maybe we can actually, do you know in the future another episode when you're, maybe like a year down the road when you're kind of <laughs> see, see where you're at, which I'm really excited about. That would about. be fantastic. Yeah, definitely. I like that. So um, do you want to start with AfterShock or? Sure. Yeah. Okay, so cool. Aftershock Comics, um, uh, for, for any uh, listeners out there who may not be familiar, Aftershock's fantastic, uh, brand new, new, I would say it's about two and a half years old at this point, uh, comic book company. And uh, I will do my best to try to <laughs> describe my experience backwards, although I'll yeah. have to pick, pick points from, from uh, previous uh, uh, roles and personal uh, So. Um, I was actually uh, transitioning back from Los Angeles back to New York. Um, and again, I'm telling the story a little backwards, but I was leaving uh, Disney Marvel Lucasfilm to move back to the East Coast. Uh, and unfortunately, I couldn't maintain my role there. Um, and as I, was, as I was looking East, um, I uh, saw the announcement of Aftershock Comics. Uh, and the announcement came from the editor-in-chief, uh, Mike Martz, who I also worked very closely with 
at uh, both DC and Marvel. And I'd known him for over 15 years. And uh, I basically reached out and said, hey, Mike, um, what is your uh, specific digital strategy when it comes to brand and content uh, and platforms and a lot of other aspects? Um, and Mike said, you know, we've got some early sort of vision for it, but we really don't have anyone focusing on it. Um, so uh, I met with him and the teams and we had a lot of fantastic conversations. And uh, those conversations uh, led me to join the team when I came back to New York after a couple of months. Um, while I was there, I was leading the overall brand of Aftershock. Um, they already had fantastic talent when it comes to writers and artists. Um, they had already launched um, four comic book series, I think, when I joined, um, maybe about six. Um, and uh, they had actually produced and released those in only, I think, less than six months. Um, so that was, that was really amazing. But they still had a lot of aspects they can grow on, especially when it came to the digital aspect. And so I was working really closely. Uh, with sort of helping build that uh, from the ground up. Uh, and uh, again, really just amazing people to partner with. I, uh, I was leading the brand and, and uh, a lot of that digital content. But I also got not to sink my teeth in a lot of creative content, probably something uh, a lot of your listeners are probably aspiring for, which is I actually got to write uh, a short story in one of the Aftershock Yeah, anthologies. I saw that. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So to describe a little bit of that, um, is uh, the, the name of the anthology is called Shock. And uh, it was a one-off anthology with just unbelievable talent. I'm just completely humbled to be uh, in the same book with uh, Neil Gaiman and Brian Azzarello, Marguerite Bennett, uh, in terms of the writing. And, and, and then in terms of the artwork, it was just absolutely just incredible to, you know, uh, there was just so many people. I'm trying to <laughs> pick like the people that were like, yeah. Uh, number one for me, but you have um, John Cassidy who did the cover, uh, and then you have uh, Francis Francovia who did uh, his own written and illustrated story. It was just absolutely incredible to to be a part of that. Um, and uh, but uh, you know, I had a more uh, more of a corporate level of of the aftershock perspective prior to that, and uh, just like every other writer, I still needed to pitch. The script pitch pitch the idea uh, to the editor of the series, who is Joe Pruitt, and uh, Joe loved the idea uh, and said, uh, "Let's let's do it." Um, and um, actually, I uh, had a a friend and uh, former uh, sort of coworker, uh, Will Sliney, who has done incredible work at Marvel for ten years plus. Uh, he's actually. He actually was illustrating Spider-Man 2099 for quite some time. Um, I got him to do to do the illustration for the short story that I wrote um, and a few other talented individuals. So I was really proud of that. And uh, that one's probably a lot closer to, again, the writer aspect of anything right. else we're discussed. Definitely. Um, cool. And then as far as you said you were the head of brand, uh, as far as that process there, I'm sure, I'm sure there's just so much content. What's the process for you being able to like kind of really have your finger on the pulse of everything that's kind of coming down the pipeline? Yeah, well, there was a lot of facets to it. You know, when it came to um, just sort of the, the heart of it, a lot of it was creating style guides. It was creating overall guides that people could follow so that the brand was consistent. Uh, again, it was that voice and messaging um, on the back of uh, every one of the Aftershock comics was an ad that um, uh, I put together, which was really at the essence, what made Aftershock so unique? What made it so interesting? Um, you know, and it was really, you know, boiled down to off the top of my head, it was, you know, the top creative talent of the industry. It was stories of different genre. It was uh, keeping it high quality through and through. Um, and again, it wasn't articulated in great detail in the ad, but that means that quality is something that resonates not just in the, the creative talent, but also in things that are sort of not as visible, which are paper quality, um, right. you know, controlled production quality is high making sure everything is a sort of consistency when it comes to that. Uh, and, 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 you know, it's all those hidden aspects that people don't even realize uh, when it comes to quality that you really have to maintain. So that was a lot of it with Aftershock. Wow. Um, normally, you know, maybe James Lipton would say, and then there was Disney. Uh, but but uh, <laughs> in this case, since we're moving, you know, in reverse, then there was Disney. So you were, you were working for Disney. You were an executive producer or... Correct. Yes, Correct. I was okay. an executive producer. Which included uh, Marvel, Pixar, and Star Wars. Correct. Yes. Got it. Yep. Okay. So, 
So I'll start from the yeah, yeah. Would love to hear about my that. role there. Sure. Um, it was uh, here in New York, um, starting out uh, White Plains, New York, uh, at the offices, um, and um, working on really just sort of the ground up from creating uh, new digital apps that were all self-contained. And uh, you may hear this quite often in the comic book industry. Um, one of the the, the top uh, great pieces of advice is every every person's comic that could be the first is the one that you're writing. Uh, and taking that exact same advice, right. we applied it to the apps. Um, these were family friendly, uh, in many ways, sort of uh, for for kids, um, for for younger kids, for older kids. But their first time maybe reading a Marvel story or first time reading a Star Wars story. Um, and um, I say story because a lot of it came from really the publishing group. But one of the key things uh, of my strategy while being with all of these different divisions was, uh, again, not bringing up walls, but instead breaking those walls down and saying, okay, this is really at the heart of it, a publishing team, but all of this content is, it needs to be supporting from when it comes to the comics themselves, when it comes to the, the films, when it comes to TV, when it comes to video games. And so I can bring up one specific product that I was an executive producer on that kind of fit all of these different aspects. And that was a uh, app called Marvel Superhero Mashers. Okay. And uh, it actually kicked off by uh, starting conversations with my colleagues on the Marvel Consumer Products team. Um, they already had partnered with Hasbro and created physical action figures, in which case, um, again, sort of really family-friendly way you would be able to pop off the heads and arms and legs of all your favorite marvel characters and <laughs> match them interesting um and uh in those those conversations led to why don't we not only create an app but why don't we think about it more of an ecosystem um you know i say the word app but it, it is holistically even more than that when you start to say okay we've got these action figures exist so you have a physical but why don't we just start to think about a digital storytelling and digital play that's really where we started to think about so when it came to digital storytelling, we actually then partnered with the Marvel Comics team and created brand new digital comics that appeared within the app. But then we also partnered with the Marvel Animation team. Um, this is where I mentioned uh, previously uh, partnering with Court Lane, who's absolutely fantastic to work with. Uh, and we actually created brand new Marvel shorts uh, in the same aesthetic and style of these Marvel Master figures. Uh, so they're 3D animated series um, that match these figures so there you go you got marvel animation <laughs> built the mix um and then you're also going to have um then the marvel games team into the mix where we actually had a uh, a family-friendly street fighter knock'em sock rock'em sock'em robot-esque type game um that's all intertwined and what you have was uh the opportunity to release brand new characters uh digitally uh in partnership with the uh marvel superhero masters toy line so when they released the physical toy, we released the digital toy inside of the app. Uh, and again, it's about partnering. And then we would also have a short uh, with the Marvel Animation team that based upon that character. So this, again, is thinking holistically right. uh, about all the different aspects. And each one of these aspects, when it comes from the comics to the, uh, to the, to the shorts, to the game, we all needed really good writers that understood the Marvel characters, understood what it meant to be about the Marvel characters. And again, it goes back to my main point about these could be the first time that these people could be seeing the Marvel characters. We want to make sure to get their, the personality right. You want to make sure what makes them tick right. All those aspects really coming together holistically in one product. Wow. It's truly uh, an ecosystem. It's all about like the depth and content, right? It's just keeping it um, consistent across all of them. Um, and when you started that process of thinking through all those various um, components to that one story, did someone come to you and say, hey, we have, you know, this, but we need this in, you know, five different types of worlds? What was the process for that? You met with multiple teams to decide what those things would be? or It was, it was more along the lines of, you know, we've got a lot of different divisions that are creating really amazing content. Which divisions can we reach out to to right. really enhance this experience for everybody and, again, make all ships rise? Um, so uh, it also was a combination of me previously working with all the different teams on other types of projects. Sometimes it was just, uh, partnering with Marvel animation on purely one product. It wasn't an ecosystem like I described, but 
kind of bringing all of that together. Because previous to that app, uh, that Marvel app, I had been an executive producer on about four or five other Marvel apps. And those were, again, different, really uh, either working with the Marvel Comics team, the Marvel uh, book publishing team, or working with the animation teams. Um, but probably, uh, I'm just going to, uh, I'd be at a loss if I didn't mention that it's probably one of the highlights of my career is those five other Marvel apps. Um, I got to voice direct Stan Lee. Yeah, and, I think I saw a photo of that. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Stan was absolutely a pleasure to work with. Um, probably going to hear this from a lot of different people, but the most surprising part, and this was probably about five years ago, so it was uh, in his late 80s, early 90s, um, and he uh, was the hardest working person that I've ever worked with. And uh, it was absolutely incredible to, <laughs> to get that from someone in their early 90s. Uh, he would literally drive to the studio himself uh, on his own, um, and we would review everything before we jump in. And something that was just unbelievable is all the people that I've, I've voice directed and, and all the scripts that I worked on that people had to, to read lines. He would get the lines uh, on the first read. Wow. Uh, and I worked with incredibly professional people from on the Disney Pixar side, and they're all incredibly talented, but Stan would get it on the first read. It was wow. absolutely incredible. That's crazy. So, you know, obviously you're talking about working with Stan Lee. That's amazing. But just mm-hmm. real quick, I want to know, you know, you've worked with all these companies. When you started working for Disney, Lucasfilm is one of those. I'm assuming you grew up uh, reading comics, and and I'm assuming maybe you're a Star Wars fan. Uh, <laughs> were any of those companies like, holy, oh my God, I can't believe I'm working for this, or I'm in communication with these people? Like, what was there like a milestone there? Yeah, all of it was incredible. <laughs> uh, everything, you know, you're you're accurate in you know in stating that I absolutely was immersed myself in in comic books and and um the most interesting thing about comic books when i was very young was um they always put the creators on the forefront of those those comics and the, the storytelling so when i when i was uh six years old um you know a lot of other six-year-olds might you know and, and this is perfectly fine again this is what i was introducing when it comes to apps and, and games and storytelling a lot of those six-year-olds can say when i grow up i want to be spider-man but when i was six-year-old i said when i want to grow up i want to be stan lee uh, wow, so, so getting the chance to not only meet Stan, but also get to, to collaborate with him and, and get his voice on all these products that we're creating was absolutely amazing. Um, and just kind of just a pinnacle part of, of what I've done. Um, but you're right. I'm also a huge Star Wars fan. Uh, but you know, again, I'm a fan of a lot of stuff. Uh, I was a big fan of Marvel stuff, big fan of DC stuff, big fan of, uh, Transformers and uh, Metallica, but neither of those two have ever crossed my path. <laughs> never, don't eliminate it yet, Mike. You've got a <laughs> promising future ahead. You never know what could happen. You never know. You never know. But that, that's it again. It's like I still hold on to those passions and still, you know, again, I'm not, you know, working directly on any Marvel content. Uh, it doesn't stop me from going out and enjoying picking up a comic or seeing the latest film. Infinity War was fantastic. Um, still really love that stuff and, you know, keep that passion with me. But it was, I have been incredibly lucky to be sort of in the right place at the right time. You know, the Star Wars one is, you know, I literally was three years into working for, uh, for Disney Marvel when the acquisition happens. Uh, I didn't even know if I'd actually be working on any Star Wars content, um, but it happened pretty organically. We just started conversations with the, with the Lucasfilm team, told them sort of what we had in our wheelhouse and our expertise. Everybody was really excited, and that's where we got to create uh, about five or six different Star Wars apps. And work really closely with the Star Wars story team. Um, and again, you know, now I'm seeing it more from a fan perspective. Uh, I really liked Solo. thought it was a fantastic I film. I love Solo. And, uh, I thought it was fun. Yeah. And I'm, I'm super excited to, to head on down to San Diego Comic-Con and actually just catch up with uh, a lot of people that I used to work with. And you mentioned you know, Marvel and, and DC. I would love to kind of also talk about those experiences too and how those tie into storytelling as well. Sure, yeah. So Marvel, I already... So in terms of like Marvel Studios, uh, which is sort of like a, a different beast than a lot of the stuff I was just mentioning earlier. Uh, Marvel Studios, uh, uh, absolutely a pleasure to work with. Uh, that was also sort of, I was really lucky, uh, and it was just incredible to have a lot of my work reviewed and received notes on from you know the top people in the industry. So you know having uh, John Favreau review uh, all of the Iron Man books and um, having uh, Joe Johnson, uh, which is uh, if you're familiar with Joe's work, other than directing the Captain America film, uh, who's also one of the pioneers uh, uh, for the Star Wars films, uh, working at uh, Industrial Light and Magic and doing a lot of other background work. Um, and then also 
a movie that I think has a really passionate audience but may not be as well known is The Rocketeer. Right. Um, all just incredible work by Joe Johnson. So to have him review uh, those books I was mentioning earlier, like The Art of Captain America, was just also incredibly amazing experience um, and just great feedback. Um, so that was the that was the uh, Marvel Studios sort of aspect of my career, and then sort of taking that last step back, which is DC Comics. Um, that's a place where I feel like not only did I have a chance to work on amazing content, but really also got a chance to really get to know really amazing people. Uh, and we've sort of already talked about this here and there, but I feel like DC is really where I, I learned uh, so much. And I, one of the interesting parts was learning that the company, again, can be divided into so many different divisions. And all these divisions are really talented, uh, really just really fantastic people that uh, you, you never think that you would get to. <laughs> you get that when you think of DC Comics, you think of really a lot of the core sort of teams that create the, the comics themselves. So have editorial and you'll have all the writers and the artists, and you'll have the bullpen, and you'll have production. Um, but then you actually end up collaborating, getting to know people on marketing and advertising and legal and finance. Uh, and it's funny, you know, all these people are still fans at heart. You know, a lot of them are. And uh, a lot of these people have gone on to become sort of top people in the industry, um, got to know them really young. But uh, when I started out, it was really just more as a graphic designer uh, at DC and sort of worked my way up to become that digital art director where we launched uh, actually a, and I'm, I'm dating myself here, but there was a, uh, a brand new digital imprint called Zuda Comics. And uh, uh, Zuda, um, it didn't last too long. Um, it was uh, a really exciting time, though, because it was a brand new intellectual property, brand new stories, brand new characters all delivered in a digital place. I feel like it was sort of ahead of its time. Um, something like that would probably have a little bit more uh, weight to stand on. Um, but it was really exciting to be there at DC when all that sort of happened and, and to work with all those teams um, and to kind of talk a little bit about the behind the scenes. Um, they were moving from New York uh, to Los Angeles and specifically at the time it was moving the digital team and the consumer product team, which was uh, DC Direct. Um, and I was given an offer to move to the West Coast, uh, and I was uh, one of those uh, stubborn New Yorkers who said, "I'm uh, I'm going to stay in New York. Thank you for the offer. <laughs> uh, you know, no thanks." So after about seven years, that's when I ended up joining uh, and freelancing for for Marvel Studios uh, on those projects. Uh, and then I'm telling the story completely out of order. We've got a memento. Yeah, sort of I was literally going to reference the memento thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like on my notepad right now. Um, cool, man. And and for DC, was that that was your first um, role right out of college, or where did that? I technically worked. For, no, actually, I worked for a company before DC okay. uh, called Changes. Um, they're one of the biggest uh, apparel design companies worldwide and they actually have the license of dc marvel uh, simpsons star wars family guy um and that was that was really right out of uh coming from school visual arts was working at changes wow um well definitely the trajectory there very impressive and and when you look back at it kind of as we do this memento thing is it still kind of crazy to think it's all kind of come together like this yeah crazy i think is a good word <laughs> uh is, there's a lot of movie parts. There's a lot of just probably a lot of fun anecdotes in the middle of there that I could have shared because it's, um, uh, you know, the big thing that I need to, to accent, it's really everything I just described. I, I, I've i been lucky enough to, to be all these places, but I think I've been even more lucky to, to work with the people I've worked with. Um, that's that's the best part about leadership and, and the best part about uh, all of the talented people, especially the writers uh, and editorial staff that I work with. They recognize that it's about people. People make the company. Um, you know, every, every single place I've been to really respects that from being at DC, from being at Marvel, from, from working with the Lucasfilm team to, to working with the Pixar team and now at, and even Aftershock and then here at AMC. They recognize that people are really at the heart of what makes all of this storytelling and content so amazing for, for everyone to, to wrap themselves around. Uh, and when I'm at a place that really respects that, and understands that, I think the content really reflects it. Wow. And one thing we haven't brought up is that you have self-published your own comics uh, and illustrations for Human on the Inside, Conscious. Um, would love to hear a little bit about that, about your process, and also how you would compare the writing process. Because I mentioned earlier, there's 
you know, there's the writers and then there's also like, you know, being an executive director is like looking at all this, you know, how do they compare? How are they different? Yeah. I, I, um, yeah, I'm glad you brought up, uh, what I call hottie, uh, human on the inside. Um, <laughs> uh, I actually, so I, I, um, when I, I didn't know what, what my next step was going to be when I knew that I wasn't going to be moving to the West coast with DC comics. Um, I said, let me just dive in and just do something completely, uh, on my own. And that was where human on the inside came in. And I'd already done, uh, so conscious was, uh, sort of a short story, uh, anthology series where I, I got to just sort of do it in my free time while I was at DC, but human on the inside mostly happens, um, uh, in between DC and Marvel. And, uh, a lot of that came from, uh, just doing a lot of sketching, uh, a lot of just illustration work again, and that leading to, uh, saying I wanted to tell this story about this magical world where, um, all these different characters have skin made of different material and those skin, their skin can kind of be reflective of their personality. So the main character, his name is Somi. He has skin made of glass. Uh, and, uh, the main female protagonist, uh, was, uh, Aorta. Uh, and she had skin made of coral, uh, from below the sea. Uh, kind of a kind of a weird, quirky uh, world, but that the way I describe it. But it all takes place in uh, Brooklyn, New York. And uh, I, as I started to dive in deeper about in terms of the writing aspect, um, I started to do a lot of research around uh, the the waterways around New York, uh, around Brooklyn and the lower parts of Manhattan. Uh, and that research meant just literally reading books or just um, browsing different sources online to find out the history of these different locations. And through that research, it really just uh, inspired me to want to tell this type of story. Um, and then taking all that research. And uh, one interesting thing I should mention about sort of my writing style, and this applies to that short story I wrote for uh, called Moments in, in Shock, uh, as well as the way I was writing uh, Human on the Inside, was I actually write uh, just a short description of the beginning and of the end. So I know exactly how human on the inside ends. Um, and from those, from those short descriptions from the beginning and the end, and then I write short descriptions of a lot of the middle parts. And then, uh, from those short descriptions of those middle parts, I'll take the part that I think the story should start. In this case, that's where human on the inside starts. And then I take that and I flesh it out by, uh, taking that short description and saying, okay, this is, in this instance, it's a comic. Okay, what's the short description of how this comic begins and ends? Okay, now what are all the beats in the middle? Okay, and then, and then now each one of those beats are now a page. And now I take one of those pages and I flesh those out. Um, so that was sort of like my process. Did that make any sense? <laughs> yeah, cool. And how does it tie, you know, last question about that, how does it tie into your work is there a balance between your what you do at amc or are you still working on the comics how does how do you balance those yeah uh so you know again right now it's still early <laughs> at right. amc just to figure out you know i've just been in a really good way uh overwhelmed and and uh immersed myself into the amc world so that isn't necessarily uh something that i've really thought through yet um being able to go back and tackle any of the passion projects I have. I, right. Again, I, I know exactly where Human on the Inside uh, will go, uh, um, and I, I, I would love to be able to kind of go back and, and, and work on it again. Um, I spent a lot of my early aspect of my career just thinking about artwork and illustration, and all those aspects, and then as I sort of grew in my career, I see that there's a lot of people who do it a lot better than me. Uh, and so, um, you know, if I, if I approach a project and, you know, human on the inside could be one of those as well. Um, if I find that it would be better served if someone else did the artwork or someone else did another aspect, um, I'm more than happy to kind of go in that direction. And I feel like that's sort of where my career went and that might be where my personal projects go. Last question in regards to your journey. Uh, the beginning is important as we, you know, conclude our memento journey we <laughs> talked briefly that you were into comics what, at what age was that did you know what you wanted to be so yeah when i was very young uh began uh, illustrate all the time um i think i think when i was again i was probably like five or six um i i, I think there was a uh, some sort of school project about defining what you wanted to be when you grew up and and i actually had to see an optometrist when i was very young and i thought it was very cool to um to go to the optometrist and so um, I did an illustration of 
being at the eye doctor and, and all the different devices and the chair and all the cool things they had you look at, all the lights and everything like that. And I remember doing this illustration and my teacher being like, so you want to become an optometrist? I was like, yeah, they're, they're really cool. The eye doctors are cool. And they're like, but this is a really good piece of art. You should become an artist. Wow. And uh, I thought that was really fun. And I, I remember I just would illustrate so much that um, all, all the pop culture we just talked about, all the different you know places we talked about, I just would just draw all the time that um, uh, I would sort of ask my, my siblings and, and my family to like, hey, give me a character to draw, you know, from anything from comics to cartoons to you know, movies. Um, and uh, I remember also it got to a point where they were like, I can't think of anything. You, you, you're asking me every day. So I actually, this goes back to your organization question. Right. Probably, I was probably like seven or eight years old when I said, okay, what I'm going to do is I, I, I did a list of all of these characters uh, from all these different types of medium. And I just put a letter next to, or a number, when I ran out of letters, uh, next to each one of these characters. And I just say to them, tell me a number, or wow. tell, me, tell me a number or a letter. And they would say like A16. And I'd be like, okay, so that is uh, Garfield and that <laughs> is uh, Batman. Okay, I'm going to draw Garfield and Batman meeting up for the first time. Wow. Um, and that's sort of what I did when I was very little. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, that's that's sort of like the early early ideas that come to mind when you ask that question. I, th- I think you pretty much summed it up as far as covering like the organizational side of things and the artistic side of things. So um, early early signs that you'd be uh, very successful. Um, with that said, I think it's about time that we jump to the final uh, piece of the podcast, which is the series of seemingly random questions. Are you ready? <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. All right, cool. And we can make these quick. Um, you mentioned liking sushi. Uh, on your website what's your what's your favorite sushi roll uh actually so when i was living in los angeles la comes to mind immediately when you say sushi because the sushi in la is okay so this might be blasphemous but i've actually also visited japan uh and the fish in in japan is absolutely incredible and the sushi quality is probably better than anywhere you can get but in la they're a little bit more creative right um and in la there was a surf and turf sushi roll where it literally was steak and shrimp on top of a cut roll uh that was absolutely delicious at this small place where i used to live in los Feliz. just that that's like the first sushi roll i think of when you when you ask that question <laughs> wow you also mentioned disliking talking in third person what's that all about <laughs> well you know i think um i i wrote that in my you know people ask for bios for various reasons and um I think especially with the advent of social media for, for all these years, it, it, it's always it's always more. And I think it's clear when you can just talk as yourself, uh, as everyone does on their Twitter accounts and their uh, and all of their accounts, Instagram. Um, and so talking in the third person uh, isn't the, isn't the isn't the best way to really connect with people. So I think that's that's why maybe I just like it. Wow. Um, and then you know, has anyone ever told you that you you couldn't do? what you've done anyone said no don't bother you know you said earlier someone actually told you to do <laughs> to, to do something different to, to actually pursue art has anyone told you otherwise well i think and this this might that's a good question I, you know off the top of my head i can't think of anyone particularly saying can't per se but but it's more along the lines of i think the strongest can't will probably probably comes from within um like having your own self doubt, actually, that's the part that I think once you get past that, it's not even asking for permission per se. It's knowing that you feel comfortable and confident with the work you're creating. Um, so asking yourself, is this really the best I can possibly do or can I do better? That sometimes I think for me personally was a little bit more uh, of a roadblock of getting past. Um, and, and being able to actually do it. I mean, you know, you can, you can reach a point where you say, oh, you know, everyone's sort of doing X, um, but your own version of X sometimes might be original uh, and unique. And there's a ton of comics and TV shows and films that on surface value, I can describe it for you. And they'll say, oh, well, that's, that's sort of been done before. Um, but when they, they give their own spin to it and their own voice to it and their own storytelling to it, it becomes unique, but I, I, I think, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but I feel like... No, you are, for sure. Yeah, I think it's more like my own self-doubt that might have been the, the, 
big obstacles over the course of my career that you usually have to get past and really make yourself feel confident. Interesting. You're the first person uh, who said that. And I was just thinking I hadn't asked you about writer's block, but um, that kind of covers that one for sure. Um, What's the life of a creative or just an executive in general? Is it glamorous? Are you out dining with uh, comic book writers and going to movies with movie stars and and you know, hanging with uh, presidents of, of AMC, like, you know, what's it like? <laughs> well, you know, we we I already shared a snapshot of of uh, when I was a lot younger, um, and so what it was like. And when I was younger, uh, really immersed myself in comics and animation and all these things that we talked about. Uh, it was not cool. Uh, <laughs> it was very much the the opposite of cool. Um, but I was really just passionate about it. But storytelling was incredibly important. Um, you know, we didn't even tackle my obsession with Joseph Campbell and, uh, all about mythology and why it's so important in the world we live in. But I feel like it's sort of become cooler, um, the past 10, 15 years. Um, and, uh, I don't really think that changes though the, the, the answer to your question of, is it particularly glamorous? I wouldn't necessarily put it into that category, but is it really exciting uh, and invigorating and, and makes me very interested in, and, um, just even more uh, uh, excited about what I'm going to work on next. Definitely does. If you could have dinner with any writer, living or dead, who would you choose? I mentioned a lot of different. I mentioned a lot of different mediums. I'd probably have to pick different people in different mediums that I haven't. <laughs> I've had. I've been lucky enough to meet a lot of really talented people. Um, I think three people that I have not met from three different mediums. Um, I've never met Alan Moore, which would be incredible to just have a beer with him and yeah i'd say <laughs> just just shoot the shit about just life and experiences uh in terms of probably more on the on the i guess the film side um uh, even though i got it i was lucky enough to work at pixar and work with people at pixar never got a chance to meet brad berg um but uh he's another super talented individual would love to to meet with um i actually a huge fan of iron giant and then my, my number three uh, I feel like all three people are so different. Uh, yeah, this is, comes from film and TV, uh, is David Lynch. Absolutely love his work. Uh, even though most of it just is so bizarre, uh, it still finds a big connection to me. What are the chances we're going to get all four of you together on a podcast <laughs> episode? <laughs> I'm going to go out on a That's tough. That is tough. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying there's a chance. Uh, moving on to the next question. That was a great answer, though. Yeah, that was good, too. <laughs> um, if you could have... Oh, I just said that one. Um, what is something about your career or work that nobody knows? This is my favorite question. Um, I don't know if nobody knows. So um, something else that was... You know, when you asked me to, to, to talk on your, your podcast, actually, one of the things I did want to share, and I didn't know exactly where it would fit. I think it might fit here. Um, when I was a teenager, again, just illustrating all the time and, uh, I completely immersed and again, I'm dating myself with wizard magazine, big, big fan. And, um, I used to submit my artwork for it. Um, I bought, uh, issue 49. I will, I'll never forget this, this moment. And, uh, I bought it at my local comic shop. I walked home, sat down to, to read the issue. And I got about halfway through the issue where a big piece of my art uh, was, was on a spread page and I had won one of their contests. Um, and, uh, I literally had no idea until I flipped to that page. Um, and it was just one of those moments where I was just complete, completely shocked. Um, and again, I don't, you know, I've had been lucky enough to to be at DC and Marvel, uh, and, and now at AMC. And I, I don't really share that story because quite some time ago, but it was definitely, very inspirational for that to happen. And I was very lucky for that to happen. That's crazy. Um, and then I guess a couple more things, but second to last, um, what's coming up next for you? You'd mentioned you were thinking through what you might do with your own published works. Did you want to plug anything on AMC or what do you want to shout out? Uh, well, I think again, I'm in, I'm in the early days here at, uh, AMC. So I can just generally say there's a lot of really exciting stuff uh, for, for quite some time, uh, that's going to build up. I just can't particularly mention it right now. So <laughs> yeah, that's sort of where I'm at. And then did you want to shout out your Twitter handle? Sure. It's just, uh, at Mike Zagari. So, you know, feel free to, uh, for anybody listening out there, um, you know, I've, I've mentioned sort of a lot of, you know, really 
great aspects uh, I've been a part of and, and places I've been a part of, but I'm always uh, open to uh, give advice or help anybody out uh, looking for the next kind of next steps of, of their uh, creative career. So feel free to reach out to me anytime. And last question for those uh, aspiring writers who listen to this podcast, from someone who has worked at all of these amazing companies and been involved on a, on a high level on so much story and seeing so many stories. And, and do you have one particular thing you would say to someone who sits down to write their story just off the top? Yeah, you know, something that we talked a whole lot about this, this conversation, it's about passion. And the, the short answer right there, and, you know, I'm sure this advice has been given quite a lot, but write what you're passionate about. Um, you don't necessarily, this is where different, you don't necessarily need to be the target audience and what you're writing, but you need to be passionate about it. And you need to respect your, your, your audience and, and kind of pick up that passion and put it into, you know, what, what you're actually doing. People, when, whoever reads it or watches whatever you write, um, they, they will know immediately whether you're really passionate about it. Uh, it's really going to shine through. So that's, that's sort of the key crux. And it's been what's the crux for my entire career. Wow. I can't imagine ending on a better note than that. Thank you for the wisdom. Thanks for sharing your career, what you do. As I always say this, but we really just scratched the surface, kind of. I'm sure there's tons more details. And I'm excited to see kind of what happens with you at AMC. So um, hope to, to keep in touch. And, and thanks again for stopping by. Yeah, thank you, guys. This has been a great uh, conversation. And I'd love to be able to do it again in the future. Absolutely. We're going to, right now, Harry's going to go reach out to all those three guests. Um, and I'll keep you updated <laughs> on, uh, on <laughs> how it's going. Um, but yeah, thanks again, Mike. And thanks to those uh, who are listening. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.